0: It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey.
1: Well, good morning. This is uh, as the graphic... Indicates a series called a bit of controversy during the week whether it's called 100 or whether it's called 100. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm not going to pick sides on that one, I'm going to be a fence sitter. I don't think it actually matters that much, probably. So, and this is our our annual series or on financial management. Every single year, we very intentionally teach. On financial management. Several reasons for that. Number one, it's something we all share in common. All of us manage our finances to some extent. However, we don't all manage our finances equally well. In, you know, God has a lot to say about how we can and ought to manage our finances. A lot of the principles are laid out for us. And here's the thing if we learn them, and consistently apply them, then we will actually see our lives trending towards God's best for us in the area of finances. Things like peace, joy, opportunities. On the other hand, if we don't learn and consistently apply God's principles when it comes to financial management, then quite often what happens is the opposite, stress, no peace, no joy, and no ability to take advantage of opportunities that God might put in front of us. And so we double-click every year on this area of financial management. So this is the series, and we take the same approach. As it's, it's best we can understand, the biblical approach to financial management is give, save, Live. This is our best understanding, and so last week we launched this series talking about give. So Steve Hall, one of our teaching team, he taught on give, and if you've missed that, then you can jump on any of the podcast platforms, look for Elevate Church Perth, we're there, and you can catch up on that yourself. This week I want to look and teach on this second one, save. Now, I know, I know, it doesn't sound very glamorous, but please, stay with me for your benefit. Let me show you a reasonably typical scenario. I say reasonably typical scenario. I know some people, this isn't what your recent experience might be. I know it's not always linear, some it's up and down. Sometimes it's flatlining. But over, let's say decades, generally speaking, in our working lives, over decades, generally speaking, our income tends to trend upwards, okay? Many of you know this because you're currently earning more than you did when you got your first job. So this is, you know, on the income, generally speaking, on the income front, this is what most people's working lives look like. Then there's this second metric that comes into play, spending. And this is also what a lot of people's financial world looks like, that as their income goes up over time, so does they're spending. More income, nicer car. More income, bigger house. More income, more expensive vacations. The biblical approach, as I mentioned, give, save, live. This approach I call live, live, live. And it's not the same people, okay? And it won't get you to the same destination. Let me just... Lay it out for you. Notorious Big IG said, more money, more problems. Well, you know, here's the thing. That's not necessarily true. All due respect to Biggie Smalls, that's not necessarily true. In fact, the, the, the problem kicks in when it's more money, more spending, same problems. That you thought at some point in your past that if only I could earn a little bit extra, then I'd be able to get out of this hole. Then I'd be able to stop experiencing this amount of stress. Then I'd be able to take advantage of more opportunities. But if you, if you hitched your spending to be coupled with your income, then unfortunately, same problems. And often this this trend of, of, of ratcheting our spending to keep pace with our income is fueled by a prevailing mindset that's been created in Western culture, and some other cultures are certainly catching up as well, that if we increase our standard of living better, newer, shinier, bigger, then automatically that will increase our quality of life, okay? Standard of living, better quality of life. And the corporate marketing industry exists to fuel this narrative. And I'm not gonna dunk on them. (laughs) They're just doing their job very, very well. It's incumbent on us to understand whether or not that's actually true in all cases. Whether increasing our standard of living will always automatically result in a greater quality of life. Now, by the way, it actually can happen. Uh, For example, every single house that Louis and I have owned uh, prior to the the current one that we've uh, built uh, had a gas cooktop. Now, gas cooktop, they're actually great, kind of like quite great for cooking, especially stir fries, all right? Hello, am I right? Yes, of course I'm right. Uh, however, they are so difficult to clean burnt stuff and you've got to pick them all apart and you've got to get in and, oh my God, it's the worst. And so when we built our new extension, we switched from gas cooktop to, oh, The angels are singing right now because they know I'm about to say induction, people. Induction. Yeah, you got it, Greeny. Here's the thing about induction. Look, I mean, I should have brought some here for sales because when you hear this, you're going to want to get one for yourself. First of all, rapid boil feature. What? You can boil a full pot of water in under 60 seconds. Extrapolate that over a lifetime. That is hours of your life that you've just created. Woohoo! Right? Okay, lower running costs. Sorry, Synergy, but you're not getting as much money as it used to. Western, I mean, Alinta, you're getting nothing. There's that. Uh, oh, and keeping it clean. Hello, spray and wipe literally does what it says. You just spray and wipe. By the way, there's one additional benefit that we discovered. Back when we first bought uh, our first ever uh, apartment, when we got married, we bought a, a, an upstairs apartment. It had a gas cooktop, like I explained. And uh, Louis and I were in the kitchen together. We had a fry pan. There was some olive oil in the fry pan. And out of nowhere, the olive oil caught fire. And Louis, so we're up in a second story apartment. Louie punched out the fly screen of the of the kitchen window and threw the fry pan and the flaming oil out the window. Boom. Like, I mean, crisis is averted, right? I mean, at least for us. It's over 20 years ago. I can't quite remember what happened next, but let's just say this. Let's just say this. Our kitchen, oh yeah, it hit the tree and kind of fumbled. Yeah, well, lucky like with the tree, it had green leaves. Uh, anyway, our current kitchen is also on the second floor. But with induction, no passerbys are at risk from fat fires and being burned to death. Brilliant, absolutely. So I'm not saying don't ever upgrade. I'm not saying don't ever do nicer, shinier, newer, bigger. I am saying don't be, don't be fueled by the notion that every, that, the, that the only way to increase your quality of life is to increase your standard of living. Because actually, it can go the other way. You can try to increase your quality of life and decrease your standard of living. I'll come back to that in a second. One of the dangers of spending everything you earn is that when it breaks, and it always breaks, something, because, by the way, I'm always, I'm like, I'm never shocked when something breaks. Like it breaks, like yeah, stuff breaks. <clears throat> but when it breaks, it doesn't have to be a source of stress. It might be a source of inconvenience, but it doesn't have to be a source of stress. L- let, me, let me tell you two conversations I had around the Christmas period. The first conversation I had with someone in my sphere, his name's Bill. Bill is in his mid-50s, 54 to be precise. He has worked full time since he was 17, left high school, 17 to 54. So nearly four decades. And in the beginning of January, Bill got an unexpected bill for $1,600. And Bill got stressed. Bill lay awake at night when this bill for $1,600 unexpectedly landed on his radar because Bill, for nearly four decades, has spent every single cent that he's earned and has no reserves. Now, about a week later, I had a chat with a guy named John. John, his whole house air conditioning broke on Christmas Eve. And some of you will remember that here in the great nation of West Australia, Christmas Day, the mercury hit 45 plus degrees Celsius. Those of you who are listening, in the USA, 45 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit is the same temperature as the surface of the sun, okay? John... John lay awake at night when his air conditioning broke, not because of stress, because he was physically melting. But John didn't get stress because John, who's also in his mid-50s, during his working life, he hasn't spent everything that he earned. And he had some reserves. So the only uh, thing that was a problem for him was the physical inconvenience. But the financial side of it was not a source of stress for John because of this magical thing called margin. And so here's this idea that if we choose to spend everything we earn thinking that increasing our standard of living will automatically increase our quality of life, actually, if, if you have no reserves, then increasing your standard of living can actually decrease your quality of life. Bill did not have a happy January because Bill didn't have $1,600 after nearly four decades of working full time. Now, next week I'm gonna talk about <laughs> a different graph and that's the graph where you spend more than you earn. And that's a whole nother level but that's the most obvious one. You get into debt, the credit cards, the personal loans, You know, there's all that. I'm talking today about the slightly less obvious and maybe the more culturally acceptable one where where we simply are talking about spending not more than we earn, but as much as we earn. Both of them, I would contend, can lead to stress, anxiety, no peace, no joy, and no ability to take advantage of opportunities that God might present to us. So here's the solution This is what is known as creating margin. Where over time, as your income, generally speaking, trends upwards, you might increase your spending, but not at the same rate, at the same pace as your income. And the delta between these two numbers is what's known as margin. It's how you develop some reserves. Now, I'm going to give you a few tips on how to create margin, but before I do, let me take one thing off the table that I've heard in church world only a few times, but enough to say, let's talk about it. Uh, And it's this one, when you talk about savings, because again, it's not glamorous, and some people even question whether it's biblical, all right, well, I'll come to that in a second. And I've had this thrown at me. Jesus said that you're not meant to worry about tomorrow. So don't save, because savings is worrying about tomorrow. And I say, no, savings isn't worrying about tomorrow. Savings is preparing for tomorrow. And in fact, if you prepare for tomorrow, you will be less likely to worry about tomorrow. Okay, good. He said, didn't, he said, Don't worry about tomorrow. He didn't say don't no, prepare, don't plan, don't look forward to, don't have some goals and ideas and strategies. He didn't say any of that. He said, Don't worry about it, but he didn't say don't prepare for it. And and Solomon, second wisest guy to ever live, he said it this way. And look, I'm just this is this is Solomon playing Captain Obvious. All right. I mean, we all. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever they get. It's the Bible, people. I know. So what does this look like, this wise person saving for the future? Well, one of our mentors, my mentors, our mentors, someone that we've certainly uh, put out there as a, a great resource in this area of financial management it's a guy named Dave Ramsey and you can find him at daveramsey.com he 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 says that as a starting point gather a thousand dollars in an emergency fund this is the when it breaks fund just just have it have it in at arm's reach and just leave it there it's the for when it breaks fund the emergency fund it's like oh okay well didn't see that coming but Got a thousand bucks, so gonna be probably pretty okay. In between these two, I'll get to the second one, but in between these two, he recommends paying off all consumer debt other than your mortgage, paying off all consumer debt personal loans, credit card balances, uh, store accounts, uh, buy now, pay later stuff. All of that stuff. That, that's in that's in between, but I'm going to talk about that next week, so I haven't put this in there, but that's before you go on to this second thing. But then the second thing, he says also he he recommends uh, building up three to six months of living expenses. And this isn't the when it breaks fund. This is the when you lose your job fund. This is the when your business doesn't go as well as you were hoping fund. This This is the... Uh, what am I gonna do next fund? Three to six months of living expenses, okay? You can look it up. I put the website up there. You can look. Dave Ramsey, great uh, resource. I'm gonna talk a bit more next week again about the debt side of things. So as best that we understand it, the biblical approach to financial management is give, save, live. Let's put some numbers on it. We already put numbers on the give last week. 10, bring God our first 10%. And, and here's the thing, we, we talked about that. Make 10% a goal and then ultimately a minimum, but a goal. So if you're at 0%, take a step to 1%. If you're at 1%, maybe take a next step to 3%. And the idea that, that we get to where we're able to bring God, we have the faith, the capacity to bring God our first 10%. Well, the same approach can be applied to savings. If, if you're at zero, and you know that's unfortunately a lot of Australians are at 0 when it comes to savings 10% you're like sometimes the month runs out i mean the money runs out before the month runs out it's like yeah sure fine but again we're talking here about next steps we're talking here about goals we're talking here about a journey so just like our first 10% can be a goal our second 10% can also be a goal just again after you've eliminated consumer debt start putting aside 1% of your pay period. Give to God first, pay yourself second, and then live off the rest. All right, so here's some ideas, just a couple really simple practical ideas about how maybe you can create some margin, okay? This is Pastor Mark's wise tips of the day. Uh, The first one is this. This is more of a structural thing. Have two bank accounts. Now I'm not talking about money laundering and Cayman Island stuff here. I'm talking about the thing is that your bank, your bank has has has, and again, this is doing their job. But your bank has convinced you that the bank account that your pay goes into is a savings account, but it's not. It's a spending account. Understand that? So here's what I strongly recommend: have a spending account and have a savings account. And so what we do, Louie and I, this is us using and recommending uh, this approach, is money comes in, like pay, into our spending account. And on that day, not the next day, on that day, we give God our first 10% and then we put our savings transfer immediately as the second transaction into our savings account. Then the rest of it, the 80%, that, that just stays in our spending account. And if at the end of the month or end of the pay period, the, the money in our spending account is zero, no problem, it was designed to be spent. And we're good, because we've already given to God, saved, and then we get to the living section. So that's a, like, literally, I'm giving, I'm, the, what I'm gonna just share, a couple of tips. Literally, you can get going in 24 hours. This is one of those, oh. One day in my destiny, I hope to be able to. God, I pray. No, this is in the next 24 hours, you can do what I'm talking about now. Number one, get online, open a savings account and keep it separate from your spending account. All right, that's one. Now, here's another way to create margin. And this is like a chicken or the egg thing. You can either earn more and choose not to spend more or you can spend less. Or magically, you can do both, all right? The problem with, or the challenge with, the idea of earning more is that can often take time. You know, you might have to go and do some extra study, make yourself, you know, more employable. You might have to wait for the promotion. If you're a business owner, you might, you know, you're hoping to grow your business, but it's gonna take time. So that's probably not in the next 24 hours as a, a realistic goal. It could be, but it probably isn't. The spending less one, however, potentially is something you can activate to create some margin in the next 24 hours. And I'm not about to become a wet blanket and tell you to live like a monk and move into a cave in Kelmscott and, and, and don't ever buy shoes again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not, okay? Like, I'm just, I'm not, it's like, come on now. But here, here's a few. Now, Marco, you, you're gonna be paying attention, all the, all the ragazzi paying attention here. The Italians have taught us something, the the migrant Italians have taught us something, to cook once and eat twice. I grew up in an English kind of culture family, and we cooked just enough food for one meal. And I thought that's what the whole world did. And then I married into an Italian family, and I discovered they cook enough for one week at one time. And then they have this thing called leftovers. And some leftovers, no offence here to the Venetians, but in the, in the south half of Italy, a lot of, Ita- of tomato-style dishes taste better the next day. Hello? Yeah. So if you're going to go to an Italian restaurant, order the day before. I'm sure it works that way. So this is what I recommend. This is a very simple thing. Take your lunch. In America, they call it brown bagging it. Take your lunch. Now, I'm going to put a reasonably conservative number on what, if you don't take your lunch, but instead you buy your lunch out in the wild, a reasonably conservative number of $10. What's that? A Subway six inch and a, a something. I don't know. I don't need a Subway. But the point is, I'm just going to say 10 bucks. It's a round number. So 10 bucks. Now, you can, if you decide to start taking your lunch and not spending $10 a day, right, over a year five days a week, $10 a day, 48 weeks of the year, because in Australia we get four weeks annual leave for the most part, you will save $2,400. Now, don't yawn, I'm coming back to that. Really, seriously, I don't even get out of bed for $2,400. Uh, all right, here's the next one. <clears throat> Are you all sitting down? Okay, good, all right. Um, Make your own takeout coffee in the morning. Now listen, I'm not, see, I'm not saying give up coffee. I'm not evil. And I'm not saying drink instant coffee. I'm not a psychopath, all right? But here's, and and I can't give you a home barista course here, but one thing I know is that now there is a plethora of home coffee-making equipment where you can make a very good, Cup of coffee, and you're like, oh no, I like to support my local business. Great, get beans from a local roaster. Hello. Uh, And now I'm gonna put a conservative, and by the way, this is gonna be an increasingly conservative number, of $5. I mean, by December, it's probably gonna be $25 for a cup of coffee, but at the moment, I'm gonna say $5. And yes, I know, you can go to Coles Express and get it for $1, but think about it. Why would you? You get what you pay for. Anyway. Uh... So I'm gonna say $5. So here we go, $5 a day, five days a week, 48 weeks of the year, $1,200. So by brown bagging your lunch and making your morning takeout coffee that you take out from your house, $3,600. Again, you're like, $3,600. Doesn't sound like much. Well, let me ask you, if on the way out, I said our hosts' team are gonna give everyone, just for being here today, $3,600. Not per household. Every single person. Would you take it? So don't tell me it's not a significant amount of money. It's $3,600. But let let me slice and dice how this works. Over 25 years, that number, $3,600, becomes $90,000. And by the way, if you get a 5% compounding return, and I'm not going to start geeking you out, you can essentially over 25 years double That, so your uh, takeout coffee and brown bag lunch over just 25 years, $171,000, $817.56. All right. I'm gonna spend a little bit of relational capital here. I'm gonna say something that some of you are gonna like me less (laughs) once I've said it. So I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to take one for the team here, Reese. If you have a vehicle, a a car, that's got a loan attached to it, I'm going to encourage you to ask yourself the question, do you need that standard of vehicle? Or... Could you, and maybe <coughs> should you, uh, maybe sell that, pay off the loan, and get a less expensive vehicle? S- could, here's my perspective on cars. Again, not everyone agrees with me. If you're a car person, I'm sorry that I'm like I'm I'm not d- dunking on you. I mean, it, and I, and I sound a little bit disingenuous because I don't own a car myself, but this is kind of the point of why I don't own a car, is from my perspective, the the most important, like you you say, here's my wish list for a car. The most important thing on the wish list, from my perspective, I might be missing the point here, I don't know, is reliability. Gets me from A to B, and I'm I'm not really panicking that it's gonna break down halfway. Like I don't pray before I turn the ignition. Like, I, the car's a bit past that. So, because so, here's the thing. From my point of view, a vehicle is about, it, oh, and sometimes there's some there's some uh, utilitarian reasons. If you've, if you've got a fleet of children, then you probably need a slightly bigger car. I understand that. If you're a trader, you probably need something that can, ca- I, I understand all that. So so there's utility as well. But I'm just saying that the, the most important thing, surely, is reliability. Having a vehicle that's going to reliably get you from A to B. Here's what I think is a terrible reason to buy a car, to impress people. Because by the way, some of the people that you are trying to impress by buying your fancy schmancy car, they think like me. They think you're an idiot. They think that there are so many better ways to spend money than buying that car. They, they know that my car, Vespa, is equally reliable and way, way, way sexier. Than your car, so when so when you drive past, they don't go wow. They go you idiot. And by the way, you could have you could have sponsored fifty kids through Compassion for the money you paid on that car. That you could have got equally reliable from this. So again, it sounds a bit ranty. I appreciate not everyone agrees with me on the car thing. I'm just giving examples, people. Okay, and I'm and and and, and I'm going to leave it there. But. This is the point is run your expenses through an audit and ask look under every rock. And yeah, some of them you're gonna be like, ah! I forgot that was there. I forgot I signed up for that subscription service that I never use. I forgot that 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 I was that that I when I bought the new shoes, I forgot to look to see if I had already had a pair that was almost identical. Now, none of these rules apply to bicycles, that's what I'm saying, all right, because Tim, 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 I mean, there's, even, God, even God knows there's no such thing as too many bicycles or too much to spend on a bicycle. I've said it before, some of you haven't heard me say this, but uh, when I buy a new bicycle, I ask the store to give me two receipts. Uh, one is a higher number, and one is a lower number. The higher number is what I actually paid, the lower number is the one I show Louis of what. Uh, oh, that's not true, mamma mia, all right, anyway. But run your, exp- run your expense, and see, I, I use the example of coffee, because it, you can find five dollars. I didn't start with the car example, I started with the coffee example, I started with the brown bag in your lunch example, and there might be some other very doable, doable, revisions in your financial management. Here's a final thing I'll say about cars. Is, um, because this is like running the audit, how many hours a day does your car spend sitting around doing nothing? Because think about this. And, and by the way, it's, it's like sleeping, Your car's sitting around doing nothing, presumably. Most of us working, it's sitting in a driveway or in a parking lot somewhere. Most of us, not everyone. If you're a courier driver, it's not. Uh, but let's, you know, when you're having a meal, it's sitting around doing nothing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even when you're out shopping, it's sitting in the car park doing nothing. I mean, yeah, got you there about again. Uh, and, so, and so then I just said, well, is that good financial management? I mean, if you're a business owner... Are you gonna pay an employee probably like 18 hours a day, and I'm being generous that you use your car for six hours a day, are you gonna pay someone 18 hours a day to sit in your driveway doing nothing? I don't think so, because it's poor financial management. But again, I'm not an anti-car, I'm just saying, these are examples, but you've probably got some more. Run them through the audit. Is this money we need to be spending? Is this adding value? Is this giving us, you know, moving us in the direction of our goals and where God wants us to be in our financial world? If yes, great. Jenny and I, if you want, we'll give you some recommendations about induction cooktops. No problem. Worth
0: every cent. We really hope you got a lot out of this message.